0: I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. In this week's episode, we're speaking to Algernon DeMassa. Algernon is an investigative and enterprise reporter for The Sun News. We're talking about the recent Yaconde family tragedy in which... Local restaurateur Bob Yacone is accused of killing his wife, Kimberly, before engaging deputies from the Doniana County Sheriff's Office in a shootout, which left him injured. As of this recording, on Friday, September 30th, Bob Yacone remains hospitalized. As is often the case in situations like this, official information trickled out at a relatively slow pace. Meanwhile, in the newsroom, we were beginning to put the pieces together much more quickly. Apart from the tragedy itself, the situation raised a number of ethical questions and prompted many conversations in our newsroom. It was important that our reporting be thoughtful and that decisions be deliberate. This week, we'll talk to Algernon about how he approached his coverage of this story and his coverage of Bob Cohn through the years. First, Algernon, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hi, Damian. Let's kind of start at the beginning. Not the, not the very beginning, but late on the evening of Sunday, September the 18th, Dasso posted on Facebook that deputies were investigating the death of a woman on Vista de Oro in Picacho Hills. Algernon, do you want to kind of just... Take it up there and explain how things unfolded that evening based on what we know now. Right. So the Dona Ana County Sheriff's
1: Office posted on their Facebook that they were uh, investigating an incident and that they had found a woman deceased in the home. And users of social media pretty quickly guessed that the home was the home of Kim and Bob Yacone, who are a very well-known married couple that founded and operate the Forget About It restaurant, a very well-known and very popular business. And the sheriff's office was holding off on identifying anybody involved in this incident because they were, for one thing, investigating it. And since there was a death involved, they needed time to notify uh, next of kin.
0: It also involved an officer-involved shooting,
1: too. That's correct. So what we knew initially was that there had been a 911 call that deputies had responded to a home in Picacho Hills on Vista de Oro and that they had found a woman deceased and that they had exchanged gunfire with an older male resident at the home who was not the person who had called 911, that the person had been injured and taken to a hospital. And that's pretty much all the information we had for, boy, 36 hours or more until the
0: sheriff, Kim Stewart, held a press conference and told us a little more. You attended that press conference. uh, That was held on Tuesday, and we did learn a little bit more at that time.
1: That's correct. It was interesting that they waited as long as they did to release any further information. Um, we, of course, went and identified that the home did indeed uh, match the home that was owned by Robert Yacone. And so we put out a report essentially telling people what we knew, what we could establish, and and tried to parse that out from some of the rumors. There were rumors spreading rapidly throughout the community that pets in the home had been killed, as well as rumors that Robert Yacon was the person arrested and that he had died of his injuries. And there were all kinds of unsubstantiated rumors. So Sheriff Kim Stewart, who had been out of town, returned to town and held the press conference. She didn't delegate anybody to give out any information sooner than that. And on Tuesday afternoon, we learned that indeed, the police said that Robert Yacon had been charged with murder as well as a, uh, a gun charge related to a prior felony conviction that he had been injured after exchanging gunfire with deputies. There were three deputies that had been involved in that, that Robert Yacón was expected to survive his injuries and would face charges when he was released from the hospital. They also identified the deceased woman as Kimberly Yacón. So right away, we have the owner of Forget About It and her husband and chef, both involved in this incident, forget about it, the restaurant has been padlocked
0: shut ever since. How did, going back to Monday real quick, how did we confirm that this was the home that was owned by the Yacones?
1: Right. Yeah, that's a good question. So very simply, I took a drive out to Vista do Oro, and because I had previously reported on uh, some different incidents involving the Yacon uh, family I I knew the house and I had a feeling and when I uh, drove down the street and saw where the crime scene was it was still roped off with police tape there was still a mobile crime laboratory on the scene I knew that was the house and then just to further corroborate that I went and checked the property records with the county and it is the home owned by Robert Yacon. Uh So that's how we established that. Uh, there was very little else that we could establish until Tuesday, but we were able to at least confirm uh, that part of
0: the story. You ended up writing a follow-up story about the warning signs leading up to Kim's death. Let's talk about your approach to that story. Right. So this was a couple that was... In the news,
1: uh, some people would say thanks to us, but other outlets also had reported on them. Um, Robert Yacón had been uh, the subject of a few stories, a couple of which involved charges that had been filed against him for um, violent offenses, offenses involving guns, domestic battery. And so he was... Well known for those as well as for the business and and other coverage that Forget About It Restaurant had uh, garnered, both because it won a lot of awards, a lot of positive stories, and also because um, because of stories like this and the behavior of its uh, of its ownership. So um, they were very well known. It was a very high profile case and. Bobby Eccone had been arrested uh, on a domestic battery charge involving uh, his wife, and those charges had been dropped, as as frequently happens in cases like this. Most cases of domestic battery do not entail this kind of publicity. They often um, take place uh, under cover of, of silence. They just don't get a lot of attention. This is one that played out in public, and there were um, – some very highly publicized signs that there was some trouble and some danger. And yet this took its course and ended in a fatality, unfortunately. And so I wanted to write a story about just how public those signs can be. And still, the system does not necessarily know how to protect someone from
0: an outcome like this. Bobby Cohn's criminal history and his his temper. Tell us a little bit about the road rage incident that happened in Deming, because that was part of what came up when the the restaurant closed in Deming, relocated to Las Cruces and was applying for a beer and wine license.
1: Yes. So maybe it's useful to take a step back and just quickly uh, walk through the history of forget about it. So Bob and Kim Yakon lived in Deming and they started a small business together called Forget About a Pizza. It was a small pizza joint that you had to go and pick up your pizza at this space they were renting in an RV park north of Deming up on Highway 26 toward Hatch. So it wasn't really convenient to get to. And it also was not cheap. Uh, It was (laughs) as far as takeout pizza goes. But it was very good. It was good food. And they were successful enough that they were quickly able to purchase a property in downtown Deming. And they ran a 49 seat Italian restaurant with a full menu and beer and wine. And it was Really successful. Um, they started entering national food competitions for their pizza and their buffalo wings, and they started winning. Bobby Acone became came to be known as this, you know, <laughs> this new uh, chef, and the restaurant quickly became sort of known also for uh, the way they responded to critical reviews on apps like Yelp and TripAdvisor. Mm-hmm. And they were criticized for it, but it also gained them a following because they would really, you know, hit right back at customers that wrote mean things about them online. Uh, It was kind of part of their brand, right? So around 2017, they began making noises about expanding and wanting to open a restaurant, perhaps in Las Cruces or even El Paso or some other larger market. And it was right around this time that they started to get some attention for odd behavior. Starting on social media, we did a story. It was really, I thought of it as a business story about a strange job listing that Bob Yacombe posted on a Las Cruces Facebook hiring group that seemed to target racial groups or class groups. But it was mostly just odd and kind of a strange message that got a lot of negative publicity for him and the business very fast, the way things do on the internet. And so I approached that initial story as as a business story about a communications failure that threatened to upstage this restaurant just as they were looking to expand. A few weeks after that, Bob was arrested and charged for allegedly pointing a gun at another motorist and his family during a road rage incident in Deming, really just a few hundred feet away from their Deming restaurant in a parking lot. And the charge was eventually pled down to disorderly conduct. And so he was put on probation. He did not face any jail time. There was also a lot of strange activity on the restaurant's Facebook account. There were some threats. There was some harassment uh, directed to a few people. I was one of them because I was a reporter writing about him. True. And all of this kind of got Put in their face when they went before the Doña Ana County commissioners and said, hey, we want to open a restaurant in Picacho Hills and we need a, a liquor license. And one of the commissioners actually voted against it, specifically raising some of his concerns about public safety and Bob Yacon's behavior and judgment. And they prevailed and they got the liquor license and they opened the restaurant all the same. And uh, things seemed to be moving along pretty successfully. But what we have, you know, what we've been learning over the last couple of weeks is that Dasso responded to their home, also in Picacho Hills, a number of times. And a few of these were related to domestic violence reports, complaints. Um, one was a, a suicide call. There were some other reasons that they were there process serving and things like that. There was uh, one instance where he was um, arrested on a domestic battery charge, a charge that was dropped. And
0: um, and then this happened. Right. There's certainly no denying the newsworthiness of the circumstances surrounding Kim's death, but covering the decision to cover the Yukon story wasn't always so cut and dry. You know, going back to the social media posts, when this, by all appearances, was kind of a, a an oddball business story, I yeah. wasn't around the newsroom during that time. So talk to me about mm-hmm. the, the decision to actually cover that.
1: Yes. And I was actually... I had just started at the Las Cruces Sun News myself. I had been a reporter for the Deming Headlight and was just in the process of moving over to the Las Cruces Sun News, which is, of course, also owned by Gannett. So um, I was familiar with the restaurant. I was actually something of a regular at the restaurant, to tell you the truth, as a a Deming resident myself. Right. Right. So June of 2018, Bob Cone used his personal Facebook account and he posted on a Facebook group called For Hire Las Cruces. And they had, all, they had started making noises about opening a new restaurant. So it got a lot of attention. People wanted to know what their plan was. The exact words that Bob wrote in this post were, here's the quote, hiring top notch servers, Great money for motivated person in one of the fastest paced quality Italian restaurants in the Southwest. No dreamers, homeless or IHOP people need apply. New York attitude is a plus, end quote. Within a few minutes, Bob deleted that post, but it had already been screenshotted and was taking off very very rapidly and not just in New Mexico. So it was uh, I think any, you know, social media manager would would affirm that that's a communications disaster uh, beginning to unfold. And so I followed up on it and I asked Bob and Kim if they wanted to make a statement and or give an interview about this. And they gladly did so. I think that they naturally viewed that as an opportunity to kind of address it and and move on. Unfortunately, the interview was a little bit bizarre, and there were some contradictions, which, as a reporter, I had to point out because they were relevant. He had made some claims that it was posted by a, a the restaurant's social content manager, but it was actually his own personal account, so that didn't make any sense, and there didn't seem to really be a social content manager, and it was just... It was an odd story. And then he started saying some things that only in retrospect now are a little eerie. One was he seemed to be fantasizing that he had mafia connections himself. He decorates his restaurants with a lot of mafia, you know, mafia movie memorabilia and sort of the theme of handguns and gangsters and mobsters and that sort of thing. And uh He implied in our interview, that first interview, that he may have had some connections. He said, I have a funny background, and he winked at me. And it was just sort of odd kind of insertion of fantasy into what was happening as well as just – quite surprising temper. So he did not like the story. He immediately banned me from the restaurant and began issuing threats from the restaurant's Facebook account, sometimes in first person, daring me to come over and and threatening me and, and sicking people on me, which, I mean, we're reporters. That happens. We get hate mail. We occasionally get threats. So that's all part of it. But it seemed like a very strange and extreme reaction to what was actually reported in the story. And the behavior got more bizarre and more concerning over
0: the ensuing four years. Right. And it actually came to a point where you were not parking your car at your house anymore, right?
1: No, I had to take a few precautions uh, to safeguard not just my car, but my home. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's some of this is being a little over vigilant. A lot of the threats, of course, are just silly stuff that we ignore. There were two threats that I documented and reported to police, and I had discussions with them about things like swatting and other sorts of things that people
0: do to reporters as well as other people. Right. So often, including in this instance, stories like these take on a life of their own in social media uh, comments. Do you want to talk a little bit about that phenomenon?
1: Yeah, I think everybody needs a timeout from social media. Honestly, Um, I think this story kind of showcases some of that. So, you know, that go all the way, starting with that very first story. One of the reasons it got a lot of publicity is that Bob and Kim, just as people and as personalities were very open and upfront about their politics. They were active with the their local Republican Party. They were active supporters of President Donald Trump. They echoed views of Trump and Ron DeSantis and that sort of wing of the Republican Party on issues of immigration. They posted that openly, even on their restaurant's social media site. Bob kind of famously at one point, because the COVID-19 pandemic had forced restaurants to close for a while, and that was very hard to deal with, uh, he actually spray painted a sign that said, blame China, and posted it in front of the Deming restaurant while it was closed because he was having staffing problems. And of course, that was a sort of a famous trope during the early stages of the pandemic was to sort of there was some, uh, frankly, racist racist uh, animus towards Asian people because of that. So, I mean, because of these things, a lot of people villainized Bob and Kim. Bob and Kim also, I mean, you know, they're they're sort of famously very tough employers. I, I've heard lots of horror stories from people who worked for them. Um, Bob himself boasted that in the first four years that they were in operation, they went through over 250 employees. So they took pride in being really tough. And former employees would say it went beyond being tough. But, you know, I wasn't able to really do much reporting about that. But for a lot of these reasons, Bob and Kim were villainized. And social media is a venue that spreads information, both true and false, very rapidly. And so a lot of the sensationalism around this reflected either people villainizing Bob and Kim or people responding to that by really making them heroes. Kind of villainizing them lionizing them. And it tended to be inflected by political identification. I mean, it got truly monstrous after Kim's death when people were seeking out the restaurant's Facebook account and even Kimberly Yacon's personal Facebook account and really posting some monstrous things. And you have to you have to assume that I mean, Kimberly Yacone, first of all, was a mom, Uh, She has uh, several adult children and one minor child, all of whom have now lost their mother. She was also a grandmother. She recently became a grandmother. And so these family members are not only dealing with the fact that their loved one has been killed and in such a horrific manner, but now there are strangers on the Internet seeking out her personal Facebook account and posting sort of monstrous, gloating just sadistic things on the post of a person who is deceased, um, blaming her for the situation, blaming her for not leaving her husband and all of this stuff. And it's just what that puts the family through is just inhuman. And for some reason, when people are in front of their screen, it's like how people are when they're behind the wheel of their cars. They just are in this ethical neutral zone where they don't think about the impacts of their behavior on other people
0: so it was pr- pretty discouraging to to see that unfold and I've seen posts from their their daughter who lives out east addressing that specifically and in fact the Doniana County Sheriff's Office had to include in their post the the fact that they're Is a family involved here, and it's important to keep that in mind when you're uh, making social media comments.
1: We talk all the time about how news organizations are competing with these Facebook groups and, and, and other social apps. As far as spreading information around that may or may not be true, you know, of course, news organizations are slower because we vet information, we corroborate things before we publish, at least that's what we hope. And law enforcement agencies have things that they need to do as well before they issue information. Um, I mean, sometimes I wish the information was more forthcoming, but there are also circumstances and and where they have to follow procedures and sometimes the law before they can release things. and so. So everybody's competing with the speed that these groups can disseminate rumor as well as information. Law enforcement agencies have to deal with social media groups divulging tactical information during standoffs, during uh, barricaded subject situations, because the barricaded person has a phone and they can look at local groups and see what people are reporting. And in this instance, it just had to do with people identifying people who may or may not have been killed before members of the family have been notified by law enforcement of what's happening. And it's it's a
0: real problem. Another thing we wrestled with in our coverage of this story is exactly how much detail is appropriate when describing behavior that might be symptomatic of psychiatric distress. You know, we talked a little bit about that. And then there's the the issue of domestic violence as well. It's really hard. We're not, of course, in the business of
1: diagnosing psychological disorders or speculating about that and putting someone's name to it. That's just, you know, that's not ethical. But some things were on public record. And What's a public record are police body cam videos where Bob Yakone is seen, apparently manic, showing an officer photos on his mobile phone that he says are the people sneaking into his house, um, having affairs with his wife. And the officer is looking at it and saying, dude, that is a picture of your dog. So, And, and he
0: says that, that it's a man wearing a fur coat, right? Yes.
1: He says, this is a man wearing a fur coat sneaking into the house to be with my wife. And the deputy says, that is a picture of your dog.
2: What is that? It looks like somebody in my bedroom with a fur on, right? It is. There's no damn dog. You hear me? I me? Okay, now watch this. Ready? What does that look like to you right here? I'm on the side of the house. Right here. Am I wrong? Somebody creeping down the side of my house? Sir? I mean, yeah. you call me crazy, but you're seeing it for yourself. He got onto this one, put his leg over this one, and hop down from here. Sir? Okay.
1: And so, you know, let's not kid around. I mean, this is somebody who is seeing things and not seeing what everybody else is seeing.
2: So, I don't know if you guys are aware, but my husband's been called. The police has been called on him multiple times for seeing things that aren't there. Okay. He has a history of accusing me of having men over, that he's placed cameras around the house, and he swears to God there's people here when there's nobody here. Okay. So I can guarantee you that you're going to walk the premises, and there's not going to be anybody there.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I was about to, but then I saw where dog dog's on, and I heard the dog's barking, so...
2: Oh, no. Well, we have a Belgian Mamo, but he's okay. out um, in Arizona right now being trained, so... Okay okay they're friendly they'll oh. lick you to death before they do anything <laughs> sounds good uh, yeah i figured i didn't want a chance of, though just in case not a problem so.
0: Would you like to
2: check the house? uh you're more than welcome to there's really no need to but you're more than
0: welcome to okay. uh, it's your house so
2: i mean i really don't it's seriously he's lost it he's mental it really is mental he's yeah. staying in a hotel room right now because He's been accusing me all night of having people in our bedroom. Gotcha. That never been there. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, I'm the... sorry that he wasted your time. That's okay. But, uh...
0: All right. Yeah. Can you hear us on the cameras right here? Oh,
2: I'm sure you can.
0: Oh, okay.
2: I'm sure you can, okay. and I'm sure there'll be many more calls between now and whenever he decides to come back, but in the meantime, I'm going down at 8 o'clock today and filing for divorce, so...
1: There are domestic violence petitions that Kimberly Yacone filed seeking protective orders, in which she describes uh, Bob Yacone installing hidden cameras throughout the house and taking video of her simply sleeping in her bed. Right, including, saying,
0: yeah, in, in in their bedroom, right?
1: In, the, in their bedroom, which they were not sharing uh, right. towards the end. Right. Uh but he would take video of her sleeping and then say, I have video of you having sex with other men, multiple men. And she said, Okay, show me the video and he would show the video of her sleeping in a bed and say, See, there it is. So he was they were looking at the video and very much not seeing the same thing at all.
2: I don't see that being a person though. That's probably the shade, sir. That's shade. I don't know. Well, here. Here's this. There's it. Here's it. Oh, yeah. Where's the shade there? Well, there's no sun hitting. Okay. Well, you see, you got that one. And then you got this coming over here. That's the same shade. It's not a body. That's the same thing. It's just the sun, the sunlight.
0: I don't know. And just to be clear, All of this lapel cam audio is from an incident on March 25th of this year when Dasso responded to the couple's home. Morning. Morning.
2: Deputy Martinez. Yep. What's going on? He's mentally off his record. Okay, well, what's going on? He uh, is accusing me of having sex with people in the house while he's here. He's accusing me of having people climb up the back somehow getting on top of the back uh, balcony at 6 in the morning while I'm sleeping, while he's here downstairs showing me a picture of somebody getting onto the house when it's actually the ladder over there, the wooden ladders that come with these houses Mm -hmm. That's that's what's in the picture accusing me of having somebody in my bedroom when it's actually the dog and you can see the fur on the outline of the dog this has been going on way too long And it's just, it's come to a head tonight, today, when he told me he was going to kill me because he found out I was cheating on him. I mean, it's literally ghosts in his head.
1: So she reported this in multiple petitions, aware that there was a danger, seeking a protective order. And are there points here where... Someone could have intervened or at the very least have intervened and uh, had him surrender his weapons. We have a red flag law in New Mexico um, that is designed to do that. None of that happened here. And so... How much detail do we report in a story without being ghoulish what is good useful public information as far as understanding what happened here how it happened and why someone didn't intervene these are these are the decisions that we make constantly i could certainly write about these things in a way that sensationalizes them and would get a lot of traffic but that's not the business that we're in
0: and also i think It's fascinating to look at the degree to which this could be a case study in New Mexico's criminally underused red flag laws, which which have only been used, you know, I I think fewer than a 100 times statewide since being enacted a couple of years ago.
1: Right. So this is a law that allows a process involving a court petition saying, I think this individual is a danger to himself or others. And I'm asking the court to direct law enforcement to impound this person's firearms temporarily time. Right. Temporarily. And they can answer that petition. You know, they can. I mean, there's a process by which they have a right to answer that petition and challenge it. And it's been used very few times. It has resulted in an even smaller number of actual orders temporarily impounding weapons. And so is this a case where. Someone should have connected these dots and, you know, looked at a petition. Uh, I asked Kim Stewart about this, actually, and the sheriff said that the agency would have pursued a petition if it had known. But for whatever reason, the dots were not connected all in, the, in a place where someone could see it and proceed with a petition. Mind you, also, on one of the uh, body cam videos, when Kimberly Yacone called 911 because she was afraid that her husband was going to harm her, um, a deputy does ask about Bob Yacone's guns, and she only admits that he has an old BB gun somewhere. And we know this isn't true. Bob Yacon had famously been prosecuted briefly for pointing a handgun at somebody. So the family had to know that there were more fire weapons more and, firearms in the house. Right.
0: Yeah. And, and when you think about those, you think about those dots, a dot is just a dot unless somebody is responsible for connecting them, you know, unless yeah. someone is responsible for taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture and say and and discerning a pattern there. And right. Who? Where does the onus where does that onus lie? You know, is it, is it on the victim? Is it on law enforcement? Is it on the district attorney's office? Is it on a judge? Somebody has got to, to see a pattern in order to start that ball rolling.
1: It's a really good question. And of course, I mean, one thing we haven't addressed is that very frequently it is, it's, is its (laughs) Very frequent that these sort of domestic violence cases, uh, people will petition and then withdraw their petition or they'll file a complaint and then withdraw the complaint. Even when there's a charge of domestic battery, sometimes the victim, for any of a number of reasons, decides not to pursue prosecution and, and the case cannot move forward. That's how these things very often play out. And so, You know, the sheriff can say quite legitimately that, well, Kimberly Yacon had withdrawn her petitions repeatedly and said, we're going to work things out. We're in counseling. We're we're I don't think he's going to harm me. I don't feel that I'm in danger. And so what is law enforcement supposed to do and whose job is it? Whose job is it to sort of discern this pattern and connect those dots and and and. How do they come up with an accurate and fair picture about what to do? It's it's complex. It's hard. Yeah, and and, uh,
0: I don't think that's clear enough. I don't know that we have a clear understanding of whose responsibility that is.
1: No, I, I don't think that's clear at all. And so there are gaps and people fall through the gaps. And I think that's what happened with Kimberly at Cohn. But it also happens to a lot of other people whose names we don't know.
0: Reporting on instances of domestic violence, while we understand that it's probably triggering for victims, it also provides us the opportunity to share resources that are available to victims. And I suppose if we're looking for a silver lining to this terrible dark cloud, that might be it.
1: That there are these resources. And, and, and you know, what we can do is encourage people to seek help and seek the resources that are available to them. Obviously, in any kind of emergency, people should just call 911. Right. There's also, uh, you know, locally, we have the La Casa organization. They have a 24 hour number that people can call for help. They work with people. They have resources, advice.
0: Um, they they you know, that's that's why they're there. They and, provide shelter, emergency shelter for uh, for women.
1: Yes, um, they operate shelters. They they they're they're there to help um, families that are un, that are going through this. And I happen to have the eight hundred number handy, and might as well use the occasion to um, encourage people to call La Casa at one 376
0: Twenty-two seventy-two. And in one of the lapel cam videos, the body cam videos, where sheriff's deputies were responding to one of Kim Yacon's calls, she actually says, I don't have any place to go. That's right. So what's your plan?
2: I don't know. He's got control of all the money, so I don't I I don't have anywhere to go right now. Well, I'm not having you leave. I'm not making you leave. I'm not making him leave. Um, You both live here um I mean you guys are two adults you guys need to come to some kind of whatever's going to be safer for you whether you leave or he leaves oh. or you both stay here but you guys don't talk to each other I mean this is this is your guy's show I know and we're here basically just to keep the peace make sure that you guys aren't killing each other and that you know we can prevent something from worse happening you know but he's mental well he and, really is mental and I don't You know, I don't have the money to go stay in a hotel for a week. It'll drain my bank account and what money I do have, you know, but he needs mental help. This has been going on way too long. Even his kids in New York are like, they can't understand what is wrong with him. You know? I mean, I just, I left him out of the house because I can't take it anymore. I can't take the accusations and all upset upstairs, you know? I mean it's just ridiculous. It, his mind is just warped.
0: And I think that it's important to point out to people who might be experiencing what she was that there are places you can go. And okay. if if you call that number, they can they can help find you an immediate solution, if only a temporary one, they can get you out of that situation.
1: And if you feel like your situation is just impossible, Paul, Um, I think Kimberly Yacon, I I can imagine just with human empathy that Kimberly Yacon felt like she was in an impossible position. She's running a very busy, successful restaurant, and her husband is the head chef. People who have been customers at the restaurant tell me that they sometimes fought at least verbally in the restaurant in view of customers. In front of customers. And so what do you do? This is your business. This is your livelihood. And and yes, there's a home uh, involved. There are children involved. She had a minor child who had uh, who has special needs. I am, you know, she must have felt that her situation was simply impossible. Right. I I, I can easily imagine that. Um, And when people are in this impossible position, Uh, you know, if there's any way to do it, call and just talk about it and see what, see
0: what is available to you. Right. In this case, we got the 911 calls from the neighbor and from the Yacones' 21 year old son who discovered his mother. We chose not to publish that audio. Let's talk about that decision. Absolutely.
1: Yes. So We pull 911 calls routinely. And the reason we do that and part of our news gathering is that there might be something in a 911 call that we learn either that's reportable or that gives us a lead to learn a little bit more that can be reported. So we always we we tend to ask for those and listen to them. There is, of course, online uh, a marketplace for 911 calls. They people want to hear the 911 call. Um, And so there are, you know, and the TV organization, the TV news organizations publish those 911 calls in edited form, because there's just a lot of interest in it. I listen to them. And, uh, you know, the call from the neighbor is not very graphic or upsetting. It's just a concerned neighbor. And what she reports is very, very sad and a little disturbing because of what we know, but it's not awful to listen to. Right. The the 911 call from a 21-year-old man who has walked into the house and found his mother shot to death is one of the worst things I've ever listened to. It is actually almost as bad as having been there. I let our editor listen to it as well and he got back to me and said I wish I hadn't listened to
0: that. I'm going
1: for a long walk. We're not reporting on it.
0: Yeah, it's something you can't unhear.
1: You can't unhear it. And, you know, and also, I mean, even less disturbing 911 calls, like publishing mugshots of people when they've been arrested, these pictures, these images and these sounds are very powerful in terms of shaping a narrative and characterizing someone as the bad guy. When we're publishing news stories about people and we're running mugshots, it doesn't really help with the whole presumption of innocence that is part of our criminal justice
0: system. Right. Because Uh, they look like a criminal.
1: It's hard to view them as anything other than a criminal. Right. And 911 calls. You have people who are scared, in pain, injured, talking about what happened and it's a it makes a very powerful impression and it's very hard not to do that in a way that criminalizes someone before they've actually been convicted of a crime and so and there's also
0: grown, there's yeah. also the question about whether or not that's even a reliable narrative because this is a person who is in the throes of trauma especially as this son was mm-hmm. where You know, he's reporting information, but it's it's not clear that he knows exactly what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. So
1: he barely knows his name. I mean, he's he's not able to I mean, he's not even throwing out the right street address. I mean, he's in shock.
0: Right. Right. And so I I don't know that it provides any sort of useful public service apart from uh, well, I don't know that it provides any useful service.
1: No, I mean there, there. We we made the judgment that there's not, you know, that that the, there was really no legitimate public interest in hearing the audio, and there's really not
0: information that we had not already reported on it. If we had only received the neighbor's nine one one call, which was less disturbing, a little more uh, certainly more measured, but didn't provide a lot of useful information. My sense is that we might have been more inclined to publish that or to include (laughs) it in some sort of account as an audio element. But hearing the direct call from the sun, I I think, really forced us to question the value of, of any of it.
1: Right. I mean, I think you're exactly right, Damien, and 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 you know some part of that less graphic audio could be part of a future video presentation that we put together as we continue to report on this. Because just as you say, it's 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 sad, but it it doesn't seem tasteless to include it. And I th- I think there's hardly two consecutive seconds or you know more than two seconds of the of the uh, Nicholas Yacon phone call that could really responsibly be put out there just because you're hearing someone go through life-searing trauma right in front of your ears. I will I'll share one thing in the neighbor's phone call that's just you know within the sad circumstances kind of funny. Again, when people call 911 Our brains get a little bit scrambled. It's a highly stressful situation. And she's trying to recall the name of the restaurant. She's telling the dispatcher that, you know, that her neighbors run that well-known restaurant. Forget about it, except she can't quite remember the name. And all she can come up with is, what are you going to do about it? So she repeatedly refers to the restaurant as, what are you going to do about it? Which, if you could put aside the circumstances, is is just kind of funny.
0: Yeah. And, uh... Algernon, just to clarify, I think we both misspoke. Nicholas Yacon, uh is actually Kim Yacon's stepson, right? Yes, that's correct. What do you want to add that we haven't discussed already, Algernon?
1: I, I, I think that this conversation would be a really great sort of some of the questions we've addressed is really a great basis for helping people who consume news to really think about the use of images, the use of audio, as well as just how written stories are framed and to think about what is the information that I really need to know versus what I just kind of want to know, because I'm I have a little bit of a morbid, ghoulish streak and just curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be aware of morbid curiosity versus public interest. I think that that really helps people sort of evaluate. Um, how well things are being reported and also to criticize us. And frankly, over four years, people have frequently asked me, why are you reporting on this guy? Is it a vendetta? Is this really necessary? And I welcome the questions. And these are questions that our editor, Lucas Pierman, and I had with pretty much every story we've ever reported about this business and its owners is – what is the value of that? And I think that really those questions
0: are important, and I and we welcome them. Absolutely. Well, Algernon, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, my pleasure. Let's next time. Let's talk about something
0: pleasant. <laughs> something a little a little brighter. Yeah, flowers, puppy dogs, something. All right. Uh, tune in next week when uh, we're talking gardening.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect.
0: <laughs> thanks, thanks, Algernon. You bet. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find all of our stories and the rest of our reporting in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Algernon for joining us this week. Remember, if you are experiencing domestic violence, La Casa offers emergency shelter via walk-in between 8.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. or by calling 575-526-9513. That's 575-526-9513. The National Domestic Violence Hotline number is 800-799-7233. That's 800-799-7233. Also, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can find all of our local reporting... Brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at The Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.